I don't know if you've ever been in a community of conflict, be it your own home or extended family, a place of work or play or study, maybe even a local community. And someone in the group, maybe even from your lips, says, somebody's got to be the adult in the room. Someone here needs to be the bigger person. Somebody needs to transcend. Somebody needs to rise above it all. In the biblical book of Judges, chapter 5, we read, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased. Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. We continue today our series looking at characters and their character by exploring the example of Deborah. The book of Judges covers some 400 years, a period of great difficulty in community, brokenness, idolatry, war. It's a horribly dark time. But against this bleak backdrop, every generation or so, someone emerges, a judge, Someone who will be the adult in the room, the bigger person, rising above, a transcendent figure who changes the situation for the better. And Deborah is one of these people. Deborah rises above. Eleanor Roosevelt once said, A woman is like a tea bag. You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in hot water. Deborah is strong. Margaret Thatcher once said, If you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. Deborah is a doer. The British Prime Minister also said, Power is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't. Deborah is a lady, and she is powerful. The moment is not bigger than she is, she is bigger than the moment. She is not bent by history, but rather she bends history. She is not caged in circumstance, but rather takes circumstance by the tail and shakes it to her liking. The biblical record does not give us many details, but this we know. Deborah is wise. She is strong, both militarily and politically. She rises above, changing her immediate circumstances, but then beyond that. For we read in verse 31, the land had peace for 40 years. Deborah is a once-in-a-generation sort of human being, a transcendent figure. We think of Jesus Christ, the ultimate figure who transcends and changes everything forever. Other names like Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, and others who not only impact their current situation, but because they rise with great maturity, they transform the world forever. So here's the question this morning for me, for all of you, for us. 
What would it mean for all of us to become transcendent figures? In our day and age, to step up to the plate, to be the adult in the room, transforming our homes, our extended families, our places of work and play and study, our local and perhaps even national communities. How do we transcend? I suspect it begins with this, nothing less than a paramount commitment to the common good. Let me say that again. It begins with nothing less than a paramount commitment to the universal common good. In fact, I suspect this is the purpose of Christianity. This is a Christian church. This is the purpose in the lives of those men and women who purport to wish to follow Jesus. In fact, it is the fourth century figure, John Chrysostom, who says this is the rule of the most perfect Christianity. This is a landmark exactly laid down. This is the point that stands highest of all, namely, the seeking of the common good. If you and I are serious about reflecting the life of Jesus, following in His footsteps, above all, perhaps we become adults, stepping up in our era for the common good. Where might we transcend? Oh, we've named several places, haven't we? family, places of work and school, our local community, many locations we could focus on this morning. And certainly we will reflect on all of these, but I wonder if we gave particular attention this morning, since we are almost precisely one year away from another American presidential election, what if we reflected for a few moments on what does it mean to transcend, to rise above, as each of us participates on social media, in coffee shops, in restaurants, and other conversations, what would it mean for you and for me to rise above in the national political conversation that each of us will participate in in some way? And what would it look like to be truly transcendent? Is this possible? To this audacious notion, Jim Wallace tackles it. In his book, The Uncommon Good, How the Gospel Brings Hope to a World Divided, Wallace thinks it's possible, and it begins with an appreciation of all sides, the various perspectives. In fact, he flat out talks about conservatives and liberals looking for the best. Wallace writes, on the one hand, the best big conservative idea is personal responsibility. It focuses on the choices individuals make that determine the direction of their lives, families, communities, nations, and even the world. Individuals making good, moral, virtuous, noble, and courageous choices are absolutely essential to the well-being of society and the outcome of history. And that is something you cannot legislate or engineer from the top down. It comes from within. The last few weeks, I did a little research and found some of these perspectives from conservatives. Theodore Roosevelt once wrote, If you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. <laughs> 
The conservative Ronald Reagan once said, we must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than the lawbreaker. It is time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. A current conservative candidate for president, Ben Carson, says you have the ability to choose which way you want to go. You have to believe great things are going to happen in your life. Do everything you can. Prepare, pray, and achieve to make it happen. Wallace says the best great conservative idea is personal responsibility. Then he goes to the other side of the equation. Wallace writes the best big liberal idea is the call to social responsibility. The commitment to our neighbor, economic fairness, racial and gender equality, the just nature of a society, needed social safety nets, public accountability for business, and the importance of cooperative international relationships. Being responsible for oneself and even one's family is not enough. The great liberal idea, he says, is social responsibility. And so I did some poking around the liberal president, John F. Kennedy, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, for the community. Hubert H. Humphrey, the liberal from Minnesota, it was once said that the moral test of government is how that government treats those who are in the dawn of life, the children, those who are in the twilight of life, the elderly, those who are in the shadows of life, the sick, the needy, and the handicapped. Compassion is not weakness, and concern for the unfortunate is not socialism. And finally, a current liberal candidate for president, Bernie Sanders, finally let us understand that when we stand together, we will always win. When men and women stand together for justice, we win. When black, white, and Hispanic people stand together for justice, we win. Wallace says the great liberal idea, social responsibility. And so he ties it all together in this sentence. The common good comprises the best of both ideas. We need to be personally responsible and socially just. And perhaps these two qualities are encapsulated in the Good Samaritan, Jesus' story of that man who crosses the road, so filled up with personal integrity, but with a social conscience reaching out to the needs of someone he doesn't even know. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that of the two religious leaders who were both individually corrupt and socially corrupt, their core question, if we cross the road, what will happen to us? But the Good Samaritan's question, if I don't cross the road, what will happen to him? A combination of both of these qualities, personal and social responsibility. So, I suspect we have four options over the next year, four windows uh, by which we can see the national conversation that we each will participate in social media and living rooms and coffee shops and restaurants and, and all of the things we will do. I, I suspect we have four, illustrated by four characters from Winnie the Pooh. Here goes. <laughs> First of all, we can be Eeyore. The character who says things like, wish I could say yes, but can't. Eeyore, or Eeyore who doesn't like anybody. 
He doesn't like the liberals. He doesn't like the conservatives. He thinks everybody's going to hell in a handbasket. He's just going to be grumpy. I don't know if you know anybody like that. Anybody who looks at all of American life and just said, nobody is worth thinking about whatsoever. That would be one option, to take the Eeyore perspective. A second option would be Tigger, who says things like, once in a while someone amazing comes along and here I am. <laughs> now part of this is really good. A sense of the individual. And there are some of us that we might take the perspective, I'm going to love on that conservative, individualistic idea that is important, but that's all I want to see. I don't even want to hear from the other side. That'd be a second option. A third would be Kanga, the kangaroo. That maternal figure who's always hugging everybody says things like, Tigger, you got your bounce back and is notorious for feeding anyone who comes to her kitchen. Now, this is a good thing, but uh, if this is our only view, the community, if you will, with no focus on the individual, valuing the liberal but not the conservative perspective, well, this would be an option, I suppose. But what about a fourth possibility? Christopher Robin. You realize, if you've read the stories, that all the characters are animals, except for one, Christopher Robin who we might say is not only the human in the room, but is the adult in the room, who is the adult at the table. Christopher Robin, who sometimes says things like, you're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. Christopher Robin, who says, I'm not going to just be grumpy about everybody, and I'm not going to just see the world through some narrow partisan viewpoint but rather I'm going to try to bring everybody to the table and rise above. Not always saying that everyone's behavior is okay, not always arguing that all ideas are of equal value, but nonetheless, I'm going to rise above. I'm going to be the adult in the room, the, transfa uh, the transforming uh, figure that is going to change the dynamic. Now you may think, but what do I do with people who disagree with me? Norman Vincent Peale once said, the trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Winston Churchill adds to this, criticism may not be agreeable, but it is necessary. It fulfills the same function as pain in the human body. It calls attention to an unhealthy state of things. Could it be that productive disagreement makes us healthier not only as individuals, but as a community? What would it be like on Facebook, in the streets of Walla Walla, in the conversations that you and I participate in over the next year? What would it mean to rise above, to lift the conversation to a place that it would not go if it weren't for adult being in the room? But it's deeper than that. In a minute, I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz, and I think you'll enjoy it. So let's think of that as dessert. But before the dessert, we need to have a hearty meal for, I always tell my kids, let's eat first, and then we'll have the dessert. And I want to invite you to lean in for a second. It's the middle of World War II. War ravishing the globe. 
And there's a man named C.S. Lewis who writes in the heart of Europe. And he turns those writings into a sermon called The Weight of Glory. And he says some things that I think would be worthy for us to hear today. I want to share with you some of his closing lines. I'm going to stop along the way to offer a little clarification and commentary. But uh, let's lean into this meal for a second. Lewis says, It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. In other words, Lewis says, it's possible that you can think of your own afterlife, your own eternal destiny, what's going to happen to you for eternity too much. It may be possible to think in that way too frequently. However, he says, it is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. Lewis says, it is impossible for you and I to think too much about the eternal destiny of other people, maybe even those we disagree with, maybe even those we would term our enemies. He continues, the load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. This is a burden the eternal destiny of other people, it ought to weigh on me heavy every day. He continues, it is a serious thing to live now in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. I might use different imagery than Lewis, but the point as you see one another today and you think of the eternal consequences of their life, it blow you away. All day long we are, he says, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. And I remind you, Lewis is writing about politics in an era where Nazi Germany is ripping apart the world, a time, I dare say, much more severe than this late October moment, 2015. There are no ordinary people, he writes. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind. It is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. He concludes, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If we really consider, particularly those this morning who claim to be Christian, the belief in the afterlife 
of judgment and of eternal consequences, Lewis says, the weight of that should be on us, and it will change all of our relationships, even maybe particularly those we disagree with, even our enemies. Okay, the dessert. Here's a quiz. I'm going to share with you some pictures of children, young people. And I want you to tell me who you think uh, each person is. They are relatively famous American political figures. Are you ready? Number one, who, who is this little boy? Barack Obama, little Barack. How about this one? That's a dead giveaway for sure. That's little George and Jeb Bush. There they are. Or how about this one? That is little Donald Trump. How about that? Or this one. Right there in the middle. That's a young Ben Carson. Or this picture, this little girl. A young Hillary Clinton. Or this picture, this young woman. That's Carly Fiorina. Or this child, young man. That would be Bernie Sanders. Or this young teenager. Oh, come on. I think Ted, that was, that's a giveaway. That's Ted Cruz, absolutely. Or this little boy. That's little Marco, little Marco Rubio. Or one more, how about this little child? Choir, look at that real close. Do you see, do you know who that is? That's little maestro Rika Pietlinen, <laughs> the conductor of our wonderful choral this morning. Please come back. I, we just do this uh, to one another. <laughs> so let's put all the pictures of those political babies up together. For a couple of decades, I've had a habit. I wish that I thought of it more often, that I practiced it with greater frequency. If I'm in a meeting or a part of a group and somebody is really irritating me, I disagree with them. Their ideas are clearly inferior. And I feel myself getting worked up in my spirit. I've had this little habit over the years. I try to think of them as a baby, as a child, as an incredible gift, a miracle, attended by the great Creator God to have life in this world. And there's something about seeing people as people before anything else that somehow allows us to transcend, to be the bigger person, to be the adult in the room, to transform community even where it's most difficult. In our homes, in our extended families, 
in our places of play and study, in work, in our local community, and yes, may it even be possible in our national conversation. I, Deborah, a mother. A mother in Israel arose. In an era of so many children needing someone to step up to the plate, Deborah arose. Jesus arose and changed everything. May we, in kind, change our world. Amen.